1: The cofferdam was huge. It spanned the entire middle section of the river, holding back the water to create a dry place, and into it men poured. From high on the hill, they were a thousand fretting specks coursing over the site. Ten thousand spires of rebar thrust up from the dam, their lower ends buried in concrete casings that were sunk to the bedrock. The length of the dam curved its back against the flow of the river as it spanned the channel. This would allow it to bear the weight of the water like a Roman arch. This is GP Gottlieb. And today I'm talking to Mark Barr, author of Watershed, his debut novel. An engineer with a troubling past finds work on a large federal dam project in rural Tennessee. He also finds a room in a boarding house run by a stern woman whose niece turns up after her husband gives her a sexually transmitted disease. They struggle to find their places. He, by working extra hours to prove his engineering prowess, she, by stepping away from her role as a housewife and into a job working for one of the other boarders. Their almost relationship in this gorgeous novel is set during a post-depression, mosquito-filled summer during which the advent of electricity forever changes the lives of rural America. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining me today.
0: Hi, Khalid. Thanks so much for having me.
1: So, how did you come up with the title for Watershed?
0: Well, um, I, I wrestled with it for quite a while trying. I tried other titles, and it just I think in the end, what worked really well about Watershed was that it sort of has the two-fold sort of meaning that it, you know, a watershed is kind of the sort of the drainage basin that's that sort of describes the area where all the sort of activity of the novel takes place. And then also there's the, you know, obviously, you know, it, this is describing a watershed moment in these people's lives.
1: Hmm. So what was the genesis of the book?
0: Um, I, I think I got the initial idea. I used to, I, I worked for a while in advertising and we had um, a client that was an electric cooperative. Um, and I was tasked with writing a brochure for it. And I, uh, I never heard of an electric cooperative, and I didn't know about um, the history of rural electrification, and, and it all kind of so I uncovered a lot of that sort of in my research, um, and I was really struck that it's it seemed like such a big thing to me uh, that we had this period of time in you know in our country's history where we had such a disparity in sort of the standards of living, and yet and we just collectively have forgotten it. You know, it, it wasn't something that I that I certainly knew about growing up. And so I knew I wanted to set a story against that sort of mm.
1: background. How did you? How did you do the research for it?
0: Well, um, I did a lot of internet research. Um, the government keeps a lot of records, and they have there's a lot of great sort of online repositories you can get at. Um, I did uh, I did some research looking at maps. Um, I did visit. Uh, a, I went to a town in western Tennessee where there is a dam that was built in 1937. And sort of you know, got the lay of the land and sort of saw what kind of trees grow there and stuff like that. Um, and then I also visited a dam. There was a, a, a dam in the town. I was living in Austin at the time, and there was a dam also built in 1937. And I was able to go tour that dam and sort of look at it up close and really sort of see, you know, and, and talk to a person who worked there about the stories he had heard about the construction of the dam. mm
1: mm-hmm. So the geography of the place of the story setting is important. Why Tennessee and why this particular town outside of Memphis? I think,
0: you know, growing up as a, uh, you know, a Southerner or loving Southern fiction, Faulkner sort of was always, you know, loomed really large in my thinking. And I think in so many of his novels, you know, Memphis is that sort of big city that everyone aspires to go to. So I knew Memphis was important. Um, but I also, knew, I mean, I guess I came to Tennessee quite naturally, and that I was interested in writing about rural electrification. and I knew there would be a hydroelectric dam, and Tennessee, with the Tennessee Valley Authority, was just, you know, replete with, with dams. I mean, they, I can't remember, they're like 12 or 15 they built, you know, in, uh, during that time period. And, it, and I knew that Tennessee would just fit really well.
1: Huh. So let's talk about the characters. What drew you to a character like Claire?
0: Um, you know, I'm. I think I initially. I mean, Claire is. I think Claire. Claire is definitely sort of the the main character of the book. But she wasn't initially. Initially, I th- Nathan was sort of my guy. Um, and but I knew, and I. I guess it just came out of you know I knew if Nathan was an outsider, I needed someone who was local as a counterpoint. And, and that's where Claire came from. And then she surprised me by sort of growing into the main character. She just, her story, her, you know, became kind of the main arc that I felt like sort of described the novel.
1: Yeah. And then what, what about her mother? She has a small, a cam cameo appearances, but she's really important. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. I think,
0: you know, again, just so much of, uh so many of the details in the novel are about you know I'm trying I think from just a storytelling point of view I needed I knew she would be facing um I mean I, like any of us anyone who tries to she's growing right and she's changing and in any I think in every person's life when we do that the people around us who've known us in one way or another t- that there are people who try to do, don't want us to change. I mean, and that comes out of some basic psychology of like, they understand us and they don't want us to, you know, change from what they know. And, and so I was thinking about who would be those people. And her mother seemed, you know, sort of appear, occurred to me as someone who would like, would definitely try to enforce those traditional roles back on her, even as she tried to, you know, grow beyond them.
1: So is there anything good about Claire's husband? Um i mean i I think,
0: yeah, I think you know everyone's got their good qualities I felt for me, uh what defined Travis was his ambition, I mean that's how I thought about him. he has shortcomings, and that you know that sort of makes him sort of a less desirable person, but ultimately, I mean it's I think anyone could feel some uh you know empathy for he's just wanting to. He has a dissatisfaction with his life and he's trying to improve it. And unfortunately, that leads him to have dissatisfaction in his marriage and some other, you know, some other areas that he needs to maybe be uh, working harder to improve rather than sort of escape. Um, but I feel like ultimately he's, you know, whether it's reading or, or you know, tying a tie or just, you know, he's always, he's always about trying to grow.
1: Yeah, but I hated him. He's a
0: monkhead. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah.
1: Cheated on Claire.
0: Right. Oh no, yeah. He's got he's he's certainly got a lot of problems. Certainly.
1: Um so why did you decide to give beer and moonshine such a big role in the story? <laughs>
0: um, Let's talk
1: about beer and moonshine.
0: Yeah. Um I don't know. I just tried to think I mean, as I imagined uh, you know, a uh, you know, a, a group of people who have traveled for work and are, you know, they're living someplace where they don't have their families and there, and their sort of, you know, the things they that I'm trying to think how to put it. Like the they don't have their usual structures, you know, family and and friends and stuff. I felt like what happens a lot is people that you know they find they're trying to find new ways to socialize, and 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 so often drinking, you know, comes up in that. Um, I don't know. I just it, it seemed like a natural sort of fit.
1: Yeah. Um, another big theme. Two big themes are this contrast between fire and water. So water is with the dam, but then a fire takes place before the action of the book.
0: Right. Right. And
1: it's caused by a janitor who tries to um, do a cheap fix on yeah. something. And there's a lot in your book about quality versus expediency yeah yeah what can you tell us about i don't want to give anything away but can you what can you talk can you talk a little bit about the fire and or using inexpensive things when yeah. something better has been done yeah. um i mean
0: i think that's that's uh i think it's the case in a lot of you know a, a, a lot of things in our world that there are, there's the right way to do things and there's, there's the, the quick way to do them. Um, and, and yeah, and that's what definitely, uh, the, 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 fire, you know, comes out of, of someone taking shortcuts and, uh, and, you know, and sets everything in motion. Uh, it is interesting. I, I didn't explicitly, you know, set out to sort of have counterpoints of fire and water, but it works, works pretty nicely. You know, when I think about it, um. Um,
1: I didn't understand this. Um, the janitor does a cheap fix, right? And there's a fire and people are killed in that fire. Right. I don't understand why the blame fell on the, uh, the buildings, architects and engineers. Why didn't the blame fall squarely on the person who caused it.
0: Right. Well, I think, I think that's, I mean, we, I think we see this sometimes in society where, you know, uh, something bad happens and we need, we need scapegoats uh, or we, you know, and I'm saying, I'm not saying it's right, but I think we, we desire, uh, you know, something to someone to blame. Um, And, and my sort of thinking in the story was that the janitor was simply too small and inconsequential. Um, and then that, for me, what was interesting was trying to work out the way, is to sort of look at the way scandal works and the mm-hmm. way it can grow and, and, and even migrate some. And so I kind of, mean, personally, I mean, I'm just, you know, as another reader of the book, um, I kind of felt like Nathan wasn't explicitly uh, to blame for what happened. But like he says, when he's talking to Claire there, um, and then about two thirds through the book, he says, "Like, I wasn't, to, I just wasn't guilty, but I feel like maybe I have become guilty." You know, it's like there's mm-hmm. sort of um, just because it, I'm trying to think how to say it. It's like there's a migration of blame in that uh, you may not be explicitly to blame for that initial act, but but we're all guilty of something, and if you dig enough. There's going to be degrees of guilt and there's degrees of culpability. Um, and so for Nathan, that's sort of, it's sort of, un, it sort of unraveled a lot. Of, I mean, so he was guilty of, of having too much ambition perhaps. And so he's sort of paying the price for that.
1: But I also respected that he basically said the buck stops here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it, it, it comes down to something like that, I think.
1: So what else can you tell us about Nathan and his challenges?
0: Well, I mean, I—I I mean, with Nathan, I was—I was—I was very interested in uh, it, when I was growing up. I'll just tell you a story. When I was growing up, there was a there was a story in my family about a great uncle of mine. He was uh, my grandparent. My, I think my grandfather had nine siblings, and a lot of them were quite older. And so he had a, a brother who had moved away, um, and was working. Uh, he had a rented room in another town, and and something happened, and he. And he took his own life and it was never clear in the family. It was like by the time I heard the story, that wasn't, it was never clear why. Um, but there was, there were just hints that there'd been a scandal, that there'd been mm-hmm. something, whether it was a pregnancy or some financial impropriety or what, it wasn't really clear. And as a young man, it just really, st- what struck me was that there had been a time when your good name mattered that much. And that Mm -hmm. the loss of it could drive you to something like that. And so Nathan, if more than anything else, Nathan embodied that. I was trying to sort of explore what it would would be like for someone who was, uh, you know, over, it was very ambitious, um, you know, maybe a bit precocious in his, uh, you know, in his youthful um, accomplishments, but then to be undone in that way and to lose his good name and how he might. You know, handle it, and how he might try to flee it, but ultimately have to go back and confront it.
1: Yeah. So Nathan's bosses. Can we discuss Fitzsimmons and Mofray? <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, so they are. Uh, you know, uh, mofrey's the he is the engineers engineer. You know, he's the 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 person. He's the one you'll read about in the history books. Um, and, and fit they describe Fitzsimmons as as his hammer. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's the person who. He gets the he makes sure that the work gets done, um, and so and I think in the book, I, I so at times Mowbray can be kind of come off as the the one of high ideals and and a bit more lofty, but I think I think they work you know hand in glove, uh, sort of. Though Fitzsimmons obviously is you know more of the he's not a villain, but he's definitely an antagonist to Nathan yeah. and the other men of the of the office.
1: What interested you about the party at Mofre's home?
0: Um, it gave me an opportunity, one, to look at, to sort of bring, however briefly, Mofre's wife into the picture because I thought you know, it'd be interesting to imagine the, who, you know, the sort of partner uh, a man like this might have, <clears throat> you know, given the time frame and given, you know, the work he's doing. Um, because, I mean, clearly, I mean, any of these, you know, particularly, you know, I'm just talking about men here, but any of these figures in, in history that we've seen, they clearly had partners. I mean, they were not, the, they were not doing all these things in a vacuum. They had, you know, they had support systems. They had people who were counseling them, you know, in the evening or, or you know, or shoring up the other parts of their life so they could excel in some of these ways. And so I was interested to kind of bring here in, you know, even, even briefly. And then it was just sort of fun to think about what's, how that you know, because the work, the office is so driven, and it's so one kind of pressure. And I think how that might flip and become a different sort of pressure in that social setting.
1: What is the purpose? What was your idea about telling the the side stories about Nathan's colleagues?
0: Um, I mean, so do you mean like with Clark and some of the yeah, stuff they're well, doing? We were, yeah. I mean, I was just. I think a lot of what I do in the book is trying to is trying to sort of I feel like I'm trying to write about a society um and so I, whenever possible um I try to have sort of you know hopefully not too large but digressions into sort of to, to explore some of these side characters who give us slightly different you know slightly different perspectives on what's going on or slightly different um you know, they have slightly different goals than Nathan, um, but they're all sort of along, all pulling in the same traces. Um, and so, I don't know, I just like to, it, it sort of like gives color to the story, I felt like.
1: Yeah, it did, it did. Um I loved that you have all these strong women. Yeah. The women really stand out. <laughs> Aunt Irma, for example.
0: Right, she's right. She's a character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think there's always been strong women. We don't always, I think we just have not been great about always writing about them or depicting them. And um, I mean, I certainly had strong women in my life. So it was, it was a natural, you know, natural you know thing to do.
1: I liked how aunt Irma had these rules in her boarding house and <laughs> she says only two of them, but she was, she was pretty strict.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although, although they do get broken, <laughs> You know, but, but then, but with, you know, with, uh, uh, there's, there's consequences.
1: Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the other borders with Nathan?
0: <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, that was, that was a fun part to write, sort of thinking about who this sort of menagerie of, of, of working men who, who are all sort of, you know, uprooted from where they normally are. They're all pursuing, they're chasing work, um. And these are the ones who are doing really well. You know, the guys in the, in the boarding house are sort of all the, you know, the, they're all the um, fairly white collar, you know, and they're um, – but they're from different places. They have different uh, personalities. Um, and I like sort of exploring, you know, how they might interact or, you know, what a conversation might feel like at a dinner table with all these different people. You know, and then because Nathan is only a lot of the novel is about that world of men um, and and how Nathan's trying to find his place in it.
1: Um, what does the redheaded boy signify and why is, what what interested you about his story?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I, ultimately, what I, I think what a lot of my writing is about is about societies in, you know, in communities as they change. Um, and so, I mean, I was interested in rural electrification and the way this community changed. The way I chose to implement that, ultimately, I, you know, I needed Claire and Nathan, and they're pursuing their own stories that have certain dramatic uh, needs um, and results. And, but I needed something. I needed some sort of character to sort of help me see, to sort of be the sort of the everyman, or to give me you know I needed this family of the red haired boys, sort of the sort of the voice of it, um to kind of show to give me occasionally uh, an opportunity to step back and show like how the larger community was handling certain issues, you know because mm-hmm. there are people you know because as with anything, whether it's cell phones or you know any new technology, there are going to be people who rush to embrace it. And they're going to be people who resist at all costs. Um, and, and I wanted to kind of think about that. Um, and so the red red haired boy and his family just sort of gave me a, a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I looked you up when I first got your name. Yeah. Um, first found your book and you have quite a lot of responses, quite a lot of reviews online and a bunch of them asked what's going to, are you going to do a follow-up? Are we going <laughs> to find out what happened to Claire and Nathan? It was pretty funny. People don't usually ask those kind of questions.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was really, I was surprised by that as well. I mean, so, I didn't, I didn't set out with uh, with a, you know, purposely to be obscure. I think I was trying really hard to sort of walk that line between having a, a sort of fr- uh, a fresh sort of ending to the book, mm-hmm. you know, without falling into sort of a uh, uh, something that's a little too familiar, and and I think, but in that process, I didn't, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not overly explicit about some things like Nathan and where he ends up. I mean, I I have my opinions about where he's going, and I, I didn't plan on writing something more, but. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe that's in the works somewhere down the road.
1: Maybe your fans will put enough pressure on you. (laughs) Right. You'll you'll, feel, you'll have to. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah. So what
1: are,
0: what what are you working on? Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm touched that people thought that and were interested in, you know, to ask that sort of thing. It's not actually something I was, I'm actively planning. Um, I have a couple, I have a couple projects. I'm sort of. Uh, that I've got sort of that are in mid progress. Um, the one that I'm kind of leaning toward at the moment is, uh, is again, a community as it changes. And it's, it's set a little, but it's also, and it's a little in the past. It's, it's set in the late eighties, early nineties, nineties in, um, a coal mining community in Southern Illinois, um, and just as it's a, so, it's a community as the coal mining is sort of. It's there's a there's kind of two generations, and you're seeing as coal mining, the as the mines are closing, you, you get some, you get some parts of the story that are dealing with when the mines are open, and then you're dealing with the younger generation after they've closed. Um, and there's you know, it, it's a bit more of a crime novel. There's there's um there's um meth manufacturing involved. Um, but also, um, uh, a, there's a healthy dose of film. I don't know. Uh, I, I like movies, and, I, and I, there's something really attractive to me about cinematic, uh, all things cinematic, and, and, and so that's it's gonna. There's an aspiring filmmaker, uh, and it's sort of so it's something I'm exploring still.
1: Okay, I hope the aspiring filmmaker is not stuck in Southern Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, that's personal. That's, is. that's right. I forgot
0: you. <laughs> you were in Chicago, right? So. Yeah.
1: Mark, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your answers and talking about this book. I really did. It was such a juicy novel. I hope lots of people. I'm going to share it with lots of people.
0: Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and, and thanks for your questions. It's been a lot of fun.
1: And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host of New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with Mark Barr, author of Watershed. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash NBN forward slash join.